Let's look at John 10 for a little while before we separate company. John chapter 10. I hope that I have spent sufficient time in the first 10 verses. I hope that you understand that Jesus chose to identify himself as the door before he moved to the shepherd. The door. We get in to the sheepfold to be part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ by him only. We get out by him only. It is through him that we get in and get saved, and it's through him that we come out and find pasture for our souls, because that's how he described it in the ninth verse. I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved. There's a salvation to be inside that sheepfold, and it's locked up with that door that is Jesus Christ, and shall go in and out and find pasture. That sheepfold is to protect us, save us, bless us, and we access the sheepfold through it, and we egress from it to get out there in pastures to, be, to find out in pastures to find the green grass and the still waters that our shepherd leads us to. But for the moment, for those few verses, Jesus wanted to be the door. Every under shepherd has to come through him into that fold. Every member has to come through him to be in the kingdom of Jesus Christ or in a true local church of Jesus Christ. And so in verse 7, we have the double verily again, which was in verse 1, in front of the five verses of parable. Then we have it again in verse 7, where he says, I am the door. And he explains that he has the legitimate right. He approaches the, the sheepfold, the authoritative proper way through God's approval. He is the door of it for anyone else to get in, for anyone else to get out, for any under shepherd to participate in taking care of the sheep. Then he comes to verse 11 and he switches from the door to being the good shepherd. And the comparison will no longer be now thieves and robbers getting in in different ways and Jesus being the door of the only true, proper, authoritative, divine access or egress. They come in other ways. Now the comparison is Jesus being a good, conscientious owner shepherd versus a hireling whose own the sheep are not, and he just works for wages, and that kind of a pay system breaks down when the sheep are threatened by a danger that would also threaten his life. So we have verse 11, and let's, let me read through verse 18 and cover it again with you, and that will be our lesson for today. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling, and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth, because he is an hireling, and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice. And there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, 
but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Amen. Amen and amen. The 11th verse, I am the good shepherd. There are all kinds of shepherds. There are all kinds of religious founders, religious leaders, ministers, pastors, bishops, priests, cardinals, and so forth. But there's only one good shepherd, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he laid down his life for the sheep. We can see in the words the illusion, the indication of Jesus dying on the cross for his sheep. And he most certainly did. But there is also the shepherd's willingness to lay down his life, to give himself in service to the protection, feeding, and prosperity of those sheep. And Jesus Christ was that in all ways, yet he did also lay down his life, literally, specifically, on the cross of Calvary for the sheep. Verse 12, But he that is an hireling, and I told you last Lord's Day how that's a day laborer, that a shepherd who has to be away for whatever reason hires a person for day wages to pretend to be a shepherd to take care of the sheep and follow the instructions that he gave them on a three-by-five card on how to take care of them, where to feed them, but he's a hireling. He's only doing it for minimum wage or some amount of money per hour per day while he's tending the sheep that belong to the shepherd who is away. And so Jesus is contrasting himself, I am committed. My father knows these sheep as I know the father and the father knows me. I know the sheep, the sheep know me. I lay down my life for the sheep. There is unity of purpose, design, power, and salvation that is not broken. Because Jesus Christ is a shepherd very much unlike a hireling. He's not a thief or a robber. He came through the divine door that he is of access and egress to the sheepfold, but he is not a hireling either. Totally different mindset that Jesus has toward the sheep. They're his sheep. They were assigned to him by his father. His father knows them and loves them. His father gave them to him. He gives to them eternal life. We're going to learn the doctrinal details in about 15 verses when we get to verses 26 through 30. But right now, it's a transitional period in John 10 from parable, and there's more sliding in of I am, I am, I have done, the Father this, the Father that, that wasn't in verses 1 through 5. There was none of that. And we're getting more and more of that until we get straight doctrine in verses 26 through 30. Verse 12, he that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not. And that's why we call it an owner's mentality. An owner has a different mentality about running his business than a person earning wages does. And the Lord Jesus Christ, in his choice of words, wants us to know the hireling doesn't own the sheep, so he doesn't have an owner's mentality. It's that simple. And I could go and preach for an hour on an owner's mentality because there's a lot of wisdom in it, but it's, it's, it's not the main point. The main point is Jesus has an owner's mentality because guess what? He does own them. They were given to him by the Father to take care of. His, his life depends on keeping them. You want to hear a verse that says that? We are the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Jesus Christ is incomplete without us. He will not lose a single one or he would be losing himself. To lose one of us is to be a failure as a shepherd. 
to be a failure as a surety, and that is not going to happen. Jesus Christ is going to spend eternity victorious, just like he is now, just like he was on the cross in John 19.30 when he said, it is finished. He is the victorious Savior. We are the fullness. That is hard to believe, but we are the fullness of him that filleth all in all. That's Ephesians 1, the last three verses. Ephesians chapter 5 says, we are bone of his bones and flesh of his flesh. That is how close we are to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is more than a shepherd. That belongs on my list that I used the Lord's Supper last Sunday of where this metaphor breaks down. We're bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. The union that we have with the Lord Jesus Christ is spectacular. Whose own the sheep are not. The hireling doesn't really care because all he's doing it for is the wages. A shepherd takes care of the sheep for larger reasons down the road. And we don't have to go to the butcher shop. We have to go to heaven where he presents his sheep, every single one of them, to the father and says, Here, behold, I and the children or sheep which thou hast given me. The hireling, because he's just doing it for wages, sees a wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs. He flees, and the wolf catcheth the sheep and scattereth the sheep because he doesn't really care for them because the risk of danger by the wolf is greater than his wages. But a shepherd who is committed to a flock of sheep where men's livelihood depend upon the milk, mutton, and wool of those sheep They will stay because men's lives depend on those animals and the products derived from them. We don't want to go very far down that road. We just want to remember the difference, how the shepherd will stand his ground and will not run because danger is approaching because there's too much value in the flock for him just to leave it like that. And is there value in the flock? We are the fullness of him that filleth all in all. That's the third time I got to say it. Watch. Listen. We are the fullness of him that filleth all in all. It's a wonderful expression to describe how Jesus Christ is incomplete without us, and because of that, he will save every single one of us. That's verse 12. Verse 13, the hireling fleeth because he's a hireling, and he's not an owner, and careth not for the sheep. I've said it enough. I have pages here of why hirelings do not act like owners, but I'm just going to leave it. You understand that. But on the job, when you go to work tomorrow, may everyone in here act like an owner. If you act like an owner, it will not be too many years before the owner tries to help you become an owner. Because he will see that you have the conscientious care and have helped him make money. Because helping them make money is the reason we go to work. Now, some people think, because they're very narrow, nearsighted, I go to work to get a paycheck. But when you're on the job, you're doing it for the Lord Jesus Christ, and that means you are doing it for the owners. You want the shareholders and management to make more money than they've ever made before. Now, I used to tell them that, and maybe you can tell them that when you go to work. Tell them that, that that's why you're there. You want to help them make money. Because when they see and feel and know and hear that kind of a spirit, trust me, they'll take care of you making money because no one else in the company is telling them that. Enough about that. That is not the lesson, but it is implied that we already understand that 
when we read these kind of words. So we come to verse 14. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. There is a relationship there that the hireling does not have. Verse 11 and verse 14 and 15 are very similar. And in between is that other kind of a caregiver for sheep that is not committed. And there are many ministers that are not committed. And the Pharisees were the number one class of uncommitted ministers that is under consideration right here. We can make up classes. And I briefly described to you how a young man in America can go to college. He's 18 years old. He doesn't know anything about life because he's 18 years old. And I love all you 18-year-olds. But he doesn't know anything about life, so he's thumbing through the school catalog, and he sees an accountant position. He doesn't want to do that because it involves numbers. He sees engineering. He doesn't want to do that because that involves thinking about numbers. And so he keeps thumbing. Oh, yes. There's a big difference between entering debits and credits and calculus. Ask me my personal experience sometime. I respect engineers. So he keeps thumbing in the catalog and comes up ministry. (laughs) Yeah, be a priest, be a pastor. Only got to work one day a week. Sounds cool. What do I got to do? Oh, go get a Bible degree, get a Greek degree, get a Hebrew degree, get an administrative degree. That's a hireling. He's doing it for a career. He's doing it for pay instead of being committed to the sheep. And every man that ever takes the responsibility of being an under-shepherd should have a love for souls. Not a love for scorners, not a love for fools, a love for souls. And wants to feed souls and see them progress and grow in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am the good shepherd. I am not like a hireling. I know my sheep. My sheep know me. We have an intimate relationship. The Father knows me. I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep because the Father has asked me not to lose a single one of them, and I will not. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Did the Father know the Lord Jesus Christ? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Did Jesus Christ know the Father? Know ye not that I must be about my Father's business? Twelve years of age. Was he already being a shepherd? Already taking care of scribes and lawyers in Jerusalem at the age of twelve, and understanding his father's business. What was his father's business? The salvation of souls. What souls? The one the father gave him to save that is going to come up in verse 29. My father, which gave them me, is greater than all. Verse 16. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. There are transitional verses in parables where you've got the parable still still ruling in a certain respect. And so we want to be very careful about jumping on hearing my voice. Do we hear the voice of Jesus Christ in regeneration? Yes. Do we hear the voice of Jesus Christ in the great resurrection of the last day? Yes. Do we hear the voice of Jesus Christ calling us through his gospel? Yes. So we got to be very careful lest we dive into a passage like this and try to make it something that it isn't. Is the gospel the vehicle that Jesus Christ called Jews and Gentiles into one sheepfold? Did he? Are we part of one church? Was the middle wall of partition taken away from between the two of us? Of course it's true of regeneration. 
But Ephesians chapter 2 and Ephesians chapter 3, those were united churches in the New Testament of Jews and Gentiles. When I preached Romans 14 to you to illustrate it, I said on one half of the church it was Jews sitting, and on the other half of the church it was Gentiles. They didn't like each other too much because of dietary laws and other differences between them, but they've been united into one body. And there's no difference between them anymore. There's no Jew, there's no Greek, there's no barbarian, there's no Scythian, there's no male, there's no female, because in Christ Jesus we're all one. And so we thank the Lord for that. But when we look at that 16th verse, other sheep I have, I turned you one chapter ahead where Caiaphas, the high priest, unbeknownst to himself, was under inspiration and prophesied of Jesus gathering together in one, not only the children of God in the nation of Israel, but the children of God in other nations. Verse 51, John 11, This spake he not of himself, I know I'm repeating. Don't ever forget this passage. One of my top 100 sermons, the prophecy of Caiaphas. Whatever that means. It's one of my favorites. It's one of my top 100. Why? Because God took his enemy and had that enemy's mouth open up and describe him saving me. That's why. Caiaphas, verse 49, let me go all the way back to 49. One of them named Caiaphas, this is the counsel to kill Jesus and Lazarus, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, Ye know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and that the whole nation perish not. And this spake he not of himself, but being high, he, he was inspired. This was God speaking through him. And this spake he not of himself. But being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation, and not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. And so he did. Are they, are they gathered together in one by regeneration? Yes. Are they gathered together in one by the resurrection of the last day? Yes. They're also gathered together by the gospel. Because 1 Timothy 3.16, the great mystery of godliness God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world. And so Jesus Christ, in all those ways, is going to gather his elect together into one body, and there'll be one shepherd and one fold. Go all the way back in your Bibles to Genesis 49, and I want to show you an early prophecy of this event. Genesis chapter 49, John 10, 16, while you're looking, and other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. And that is what we read from Ezekiel. One shepherd, his name's David. He's a prince, and he's a king, and he's a shepherd. That we read from Ezekiel 34 and Ezekiel 37. Genesis 49, this is Jacob on his deathbed making prophecies about each of his 12 sons. Reuben's in verse 3, Simeon and Levi are in verse 5, Judah takes up in verse 8, that is Jacob prophesying about Judah, we want verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet. That is that Judah would be the father 
of the rulers of Israel. The scepter, that's what a king holds, shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver, that's the legislation aspect of a king, from between his feet until Shiloh come. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Unto him, that is Shiloh, the king and the lawgiver, unto him shall the gathering of the people be. When, and Jesus Christ is telling you right here, and Caiaphas is telling you right here, that gathering the Jewish people was not enough to fulfill the prophecy right. because he had to gather from the other nations the children of God as well. Let me show you further about this, and this will be the last reference. It's Ephesians chapter 1, and it's part of the long description of our electing grace in Christ Jesus that I want you to rejoice in because chapters 2 and chapters 3 of Ephesians, Paul will explain Gentiles being brought in. But here, I want you to see about the change in dispensations of it changing from being a Jewish religion to a Gentile Jewish religion. I'm going to start at verse 7 because it follows a period. In whom we have redemption through his blood. Ephesians 1, 7. Speaking of Christ, the beloved of God, that ended verse 6 in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. That is the wisdom and prudence of God in saving us through Jesus Christ, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated under the pur- according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. The wisdom and prudence of God was to have a Jewish kingdom for 1,500 years. There were 2,500 years of the patriarchs before that, And then there is Jews and Gentiles brought together into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. In the days of these kings, the God of heaven shall set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And God, through Jesus Christ, is going to get every single Gentile Jew, whether they've already died and are in heaven, or whether they're still alive on earth, into one body. And it's the wisdom and prudence of God. Infinite wisdom, infinite prudence in the design of salvation. Back to John 10 and verse 16. Other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. Why must he bring them? Because God has assigned him to bring them, and he will not lose a single one. Verse 17, Therefore I lay down my life for the sheep, and there are sheep that are not of this Jewish fold that I'm also going to lay my life down for and gather them together into one fold, the family of God, as it's called in Ephesians chapter 3. Verse 17, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. I'm obeying my Father, because I'm under charge not to lose a single sheep of the Jewish type or the Gentile type. I'm going to get them all and bring them together. They're going to hear my voice. There'll be one fold and one shepherd. Because I'm going to do this, my Father loves me, because he was obedient. 
Ephesians, Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 through 10 describe Jesus learning to fear and obey God and, and by his obedience, he was made a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek by God's order. It's in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 through 10 that teach us that. God the Father's love of Jesus included his approval of his obedience in the great work of our redemption. What submission to God's will we see in Gethsemane. This verse says, Therefore doth my Father love me. See, he is, he is becoming very personal. There's no sheep in verse 17 by word. It's personal between God and him and the purpose that he has. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life that I might take it again. There's no father in verses 1 through 5, because verses 1 through 5 are just the industry of shepherding and sheep uh, in, in this chapter. But it, trans it, it transfers and it transposition, transitions to Jesus talking about his father and obeying his father, laying down his life to keep his father's charge and commitment. And so verse 17 is, is wonderful in its own right, as Jesus says something more specifically without using the words fold, shepherd, or anything else, just the Father loves me, and, there, and because I lay down my life for the sheep, he loves me, and because I lay down my life, that I might take it up again. He's going to tell us in verse 18, this commandment have I received of my Father. My Father has given me a body. It's in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 7 through 10. My Father has given me a body because Old Testament sacrifices of animal bodies and animal blood never put away a single sin, but he gave me a body. Therefore, I am come to do thy will, O God. There's the commandment. There's the charge. I am come to do thy will, O God, which was to take on one of our bodies that got tired, that got thirsty, take that body on and lay it down then come back three days and three nights later and go right back into that tomb and take that body up again. Give me a man that's done that before. The shepherd that dies for his sheep, after the wolf kills the shepherd, then the wolf gets the sheep. After the lion kills the shepherd, the lion gets the sheep. Jesus died for us, but he came back and took his life up again. His wasn't over. And it was through his death and through his resurrection that he saved all of us. Because it's not only his death, but also his resurrection and his continuing perpetual life that saves us. Verse 17. What submission to God's will we can see in Gethsemane. Father, if thou be willing, if there is any other way, Father, is there any other way that I could avoid this cup? of dying for the sheep. We read it three times. Sweat as it were great drops of blood. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And that's what's here in verses 17 and 18. The will of God the Father was the gracious, predestinating and purposing will of God in salvation, and Jesus Christ obeyed it. He, he asked if there was a way out of it. Right. And it's okay to ask sometimes, but then to say, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Right. Father, 
whatever you want me to do, I will do. And you have stated that you would like me to drink the cup of death. And the dregs of that cup of torture by the Romans and the Jews. Is there any other way? If there's no other way, that's okay with me. Thy will be done. And he got up from his knees, strengthened by an angel from heaven. God was merciful still. He went out and found the mob. Come, He went and found the mob. Read it. He went and found the mob coming to get him in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he said, who are you looking for? Whom seek ye? Jesus of Nazareth. I am he. Let these go. Yes, they all fell down. But I am he. Let these go. And so they, they left. They didn't want to stay with the Lord Jesus Christ. But his obedience is being expressed to us here in this way in verses 17 and 18. Because of his obedience to God's will, he has been highly honored and rewarded. It says here, therefore doth my father love me. How did God love Jesus more? By manifesting his love more. It's not that God loved Jesus more progressively because God loved Jesus Christ in covenant before the world began. But we've already learned that he does that toward us. It's not that he actually, literally, qualitatively or quantitatively loves us more, but he manifestatively reveals it more and gives us more. Let me show you. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess, because Jesus has been promoted to the pinnacle of heaven under God only, ruling the universe, and the whole creation is going to own him as its ruler. And that's how he has expressed his love by manifesting him to the universe. This is my beloved son. Get down on your knee and pay him homage. Look what he did. But he always loved him. This is my beloved son at his baptism. This is my beloved son on the Mount of Transfiguration. But he manifested it to him. Now I want this point to be special to you. Because if you come over to John 14, he does it to us. Do you know the verses? Do you know where to go? Do you know it's John 14, 21 and 23? Where it says that God will love us, but he has always loved us. What does it mean he will love us? Future tense verb helper there. When he has always loved us. He will manifest his love to us. And he kind of tells you here. John 14, 21, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. There will be a progression and increase in, in God and Jesus Christ manifesting, making, the, making it plain, making it obvious who they are toward those that love and obey him. When we stress keeping God's commandments, keeping God's commandments isn't how we earn our way into heaven. Keeping God's commandments, however, is how God shows greater love to us in life by manifesting himself to us. And so we have that 21st verse, which is so much like 1017. 1421 is for us. 1017 is for Jesus. Let me read it again, and I hope you're looking at it. John 14, 21. He that hath my commandments, that's nothing, and keepeth them, that's everything, 
he it is that loveth me. That's how, it doesn't matter if you say you love Jesus. Nobody cares. He doesn't care. We don't care. We want to know that you keep his commandments. That's what he cares about. That's what we care about because that's how we measure love. If he loved me, keep my commandments. That's what real love is. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me this way shall be loved of my father and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. That is pretty spectacular. God the Father will love him, I will love him, and I will reveal myself more fully to him. 23, Jesus answered and said unto him, because Judas, not Iscariot, asked in the intervening verse of 22, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? How will you make this discriminating difference in how you reveal yourself? Jesus answered and said unto him, if a man love me, he will keep my words. We're never going to compromise that. If a man love me, he will keep my words. And my father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. There will be an improvement and an increase in fellowship with God because they will come and indwell practically in a way that they had not before, and it will be more fully realized. When the Bible says in Romans 5, 5, that the Holy Spirit is given unto us to shed abroad in our hearts God's love for us, that is quenched by disobedience. But if a man loves Christ and keeps Christ's commandments, that Holy Spirit is unfettered to fill that heart with the shining rays of his fiery light of God's love for that person. And it depends on obedience to Jesus Christ. It does not depend on Christ's finished work on the cross. It depends on your obedience to enjoy that greater practical benefit of Jesus Christ and God the Father's relationship with, of fellowship with you. Back to John chapter 10. God clearly loved Jesus before the cross, but he loved his obedience at the cross, and so he anointed him with the oil of gladness above his fellows, and he delighted in Jesus Christ and set him at his own right hand and gave him the reward of the universe. I hope enough has been said. Verse 18, about laying down his life and taking it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Three sentences in one verse. Neither the Jews nor Pilate, nor Herod, took Jesus' life from him. Chia, he could have called 10,000 angels. That's one of her favorite songs. He could have called 10,000 angels because the Jews, nor Pilate, nor Herod, took Jesus' life away. Jesus chose to lay his life down by not calling for angels to intervene and to save him. He had escaped their plans by the Jews and their efforts to take him and would do so again. He did it in chapter 8. Look, just back two chapters to verse 59. Then took they up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. The last verse of John chapter 8, he had escaped them. We go to John chapter 10 and verse 39. 
John 10, 39, this same chapter. Therefore they sought again to take him, but he escaped out of their hand. He could escape from them so easily without calling angels. But he also could have called angels because he told Peter that he could call 12 legions of angels to deliver him from their hands. But there came a point in time where he had fulfilled his ministry. Did he have a half a week of years to fulfill? Was that a prophecy of 500 years earlier by Daniel? And so he fulfilled the time that God gave him in his ministry. And when it reached an end, you know what the Bible says? He set his face to go to Jerusalem. My main job is now come in Jerusalem. And he set his face to go. And Peter said, Lord, be it far from thee to go to Jerusalem. They want to hurt you there. Get thee behind me, Satan. You do not know what you're saying. And the things of God are not finding that you, you don't savor the things of God like you ought to. I need to go to Jerusalem. And so he set his face and he went. When on trial before Pilate, look at 19 in this Gospel of John, chapter 19 and verse 11, he'll explain to Pilate that Pilate did not have the authority over his life. John 19, verse 11. We've got to get verse 10 because Pilate speaks and Jesus answers in verse 11. John chapter 19 and verse 10, Then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? You're going to give me the silent treatment? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee and have power to release thee? Don't you know that I have the authority of your, your life? I can crucify you or I can let you go right now. You should talk to me. Jesus answered, Thou couldest have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Beautiful. I have power to lay my life down. I have power to take it up again. He went willingly to the cross for us, and he went zealously with forethought of what was going to happen. The Bible tells us that. That he knew he was going to drink the cup of God's wrath and was going to be baptized with the baptism of martyrdom. When soldiers die in battle for their nation, they do so unwillingly, unless they're suicide cases, they do so unwillingly and without conscious sacrifice. They may consciously choose before a battle that if today I lose my life, I will lose it for my brothers that are on both sides of me, the band of brothers that make up a military unit. I will lose my life for my family back at home. I will lose my life for my country but would you give me one more, um, one more uh, piece of ammunition, please, to put in my pouch? Because I'm not planning on it today. Maybe that's going to be some other day. You know, because he wants to go into battle with every effort made to put the other patriot in the grave for his country, not being willing to offer himself for his country. Jesus was different. Jesus was not taken off guard by Pilate or Herod or the Jews. Jesus willingly had reached the point in his ministry where God was saying, now is the time. And Jesus willingly laid down his life, just like he tells us here in this 18th verse. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. A shepherd that faces a wolf, hopefully, has some means of protection that he's not planning to lay down his life to the wolf. Because he knows the wolf's going to get the sheep after he lays down his life to the wolf. But Jesus had it all laid out by God. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. And when I take it up again, 
I'll spend 40 days here proving that I've taken it up again, and then I will ascend to the right hand of God, and I will guarantee as the surety of my father's sheep that every single one of them get everlasting life. Amen. We're going to get the details of this coming up, but this is pretty detailed right here. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power, the authority to lay it down, and I have authority or power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. God made a covenant with Jesus Christ before the world began. It's called the everlasting covenant that, that the Word would become flesh in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, lay down his life, take it up again, be promoted over the universe of all principalities and powers. And Jesus said, in the volume of the book, it is written of me, I come to do thy will, O God. Amen. In Hebrews 10, they are some dear verses, and they're taken from Psalm 40. Some of you like Psalm 40. Well, in Psalm 40, where it talks about doing the will of God, forget David, you see Christ, because it's fulfilled in Hebrews chapter 10. I come to do thy will. Oh God. And so he puts an end to the first covenant and brings in the new covenant. And then it says, by the which will we are sanctified by the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Amen. Amen. We are saved by free will is what I want to tell you. Are you with me for a minute? We are saved by free will. The free will of God and the free will of Jesus Christ, though Jesus Christ was not as free as God's, because Jesus is subordinate to God in his human nature as the God-man and our mediator, which it tells us that in 1 Corinthians 15, 28. By the which will, what will, is in Hebrews 10, 10. I come to do thy will, O God. By the which will, we are sanctified, made holy, we are sanctified by the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Forget all those animal bodies, the body of Jesus Christ. Yeah. He could have called 12 legions of angels, but he died alone for you and me. Jesus came to do the will of his Father and did so at all times in his life. From when he was 12 years old, I must be about my Father's business, to Hebrews 10 that I just told you about, laying down his life and taking it up again. And so we have the first 18 verses of John chapter 10. What does this shepherd mean to you? If a man love me, he will keep my commandments. It doesn't say if a man love me, he'll sing about it. If a man love me, he'll tell other people. If a man love me, he'll deceive himself by telling himself that you love him. If a man love me, he will keep my commandments. If a man love me, he will keep my words. And when a man loves me by keeping my commandments and my words, my father will love him. My father will come to him. I will love him. I will come to him. And we will make our abode with him. I don't know how it gets any better in this universe. Heaven is going to be hardly different than God dwelling in you by father and son through the Holy Spirit in you, shedding abroad his love in your heart. We can live now like we will live in heaven. Yes, we'll get rid of these corrupt bodies. Yes, we'll get of a place of temptation. But there can be fellowship with Jesus Christ and fellowship with God now that is better than anything you've ever had before 
Because if you think that you've exhausted the love of God and the manifestation of God the Father and Jesus Christ to your heart, soul, and mind, you are mistaken. It can get better and better. And the reason we have a church and the reason we're praying for higher ground is that it would be better and better for each of us and for all of us. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Stand with me, please.